Um, I, I, I have feelings on content marketing. <laughs> Tell me your feelings, Alyssa. <laughs> Let uh, it all out I, here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I will continue my tirade. Every time I go on a podcast, I'm like, well, that's going to burn about 17 more bridges, but <laughs> it's kind of what I do. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like minded entrepreneurs and of course some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. Today, listeners, we are joined by the founder of Craftier Content, Alyssa Doucette. Alyssa has worked for years creating compelling content and writing for many businesses and publications such as the New York Times, Forbes, Yahoo, the Huffington Post, and many, many more. Basically put, Craftier Content helps authors and entrepreneurs sound smart by creating better content articles. On the show today, we chat with Alyssa about her journey learning to become a great writer, how she developed her skills to write for major publishings, and why she decided to set out on her own and start a business helping entrepreneurs and authors do the same. And we touch a little bit on why Alyssa's in Oaxaca, Mexico. And without further ado, let's welcome Alyssa to the show. Welcome, Alyssa, to the podcast. How are you today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hear you're reporting from Oaxaca, Mexico. Is that right? That is correct. I'm. Uh, I I don't do winter, so I came down to Oaxaca to to escape the cold of the Northeast. I got a question for you. Can you say Oaxaca five times as fast as you can? I probably. <laughs> Probably not. Oaxaca, 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 Oaxaca. Oh, maybe Ooh, I can. That's pretty good. You almost had seven. <laughs> my uh, my sister calls it Waka Waka because on top of being really hard to pronounce, uh-huh. it's spelled O A X A C A. Oh yeah, pronounced. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oaxaca. <laughs> I was trying the other day. I don't know where this came about, but trying to say the word success as fast as I can. And uh, it, it doesn't work so well. You start just saying sex, 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 success, sex, sex. <laughs> Wait a which, you know, sometimes sometimes goes hand in hand. Sometimes it's a problem. You know, it happens. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> well, well, thanks for joining us in Oaxaca. Well, let's talk business. And we want to get to know you as the entrepreneur that you are today. And I know you have uh, quite a bit of experience um, in building your business up to what it is. And so let's get a little bit of your so we can learn more about you. Yeah. So I started out in the wonderful world of, of, of business and career working for 10 years in insurance sales. Uh, so, right. <laughs> Six years selling uh, pretty much all different kinds of insurance and financial services. And then three years as a sales manager for the state of Maine uh, for this particular company. And uh, about the end of that time, uh, I went into my annual review, as we tend to do in our our careers, and my boss kind of gave me the, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here talk. (laughs) (laughs) And he was basically like, your your, uh, ambition and skill set and everything are kind of too much for middle management. We're worried that you're going to burn out in the next year or two, and you should really be trying to push your trajectory forward. So 
you need to decide, do you want to open your own agency or do you want to go the corporate route and climb a corporate ladder? Right. Uh, you know, no, you don't have to decide right now, but, you know, within the next six to eight months, we, we really need to start planning for what your next steps are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for me, I majored in university in classical studies and creative writing. So <laughs> <laughs> insurance sales was not like my 18-year-old ambition dream goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I had been writing a fair bit and had been um, my, uh, basically blogging. And my blog had been picked up a couple of times. And so I was like, well... In the six to eight months that I need to, you know, make a decision of whether I want to lock in and commit to this insurance career and lifestyle, because I actually liked my job. <laughs> I actually liked the company I worked for. Um, I, I loved insurance, financial services and talking to people and that sort of thing. So I thought, well, I'll give myself six to eight months to see if I could build a, a freelance writing career. Um, and if I can do it in six months, then I will quit the, the job with the insurance company and leave on really good terms in case I completely fuck up the entire freelancing thing. I can come kind of crawling back. <laughs> and, uh, if not, then I'll go this, uh, insurance route. And six months later, I had pitched my first, uh, syndicated column and got picked up there then parlayed that into a, a gig writing the bar guide reviews for the largest paper in Maine. Okay. Uh, and got offered, uh, basically got headhunted for a column on Forbes.com when they started their contributor platform. Nice. Uh, and, and that kind of all happened within the first three months. So I, I'm, uh, I, I'm not a believer in things per se, but I was kind of like, all right, if there's like a universe that, you know, dictates what we're supposed to do, I think it's giving me a big <laughs> message right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, so basically I started, started as a freelance writer um, and worked, worked for a bit kind of building myself and my platform and my reputation there. Um, parlayed that into uh, a gig with, uh, I'm pretty sure many of your listeners will know, and it's how you and I know each other, uh, with Tropical MBA and Dynamite Circle. Uh, they wanted to, to build Dynamite Circle and Tropical MBA and uh, had put out, since 2011, put out a job posting saying they wanted to hire a content writer to write a bunch of stuff for the internet because, of course, SEO was king in 2011. Right. Um, SEO meaning, like, keywords and just throwing as much as you could onto the internet right. um, to dominate. And so I came back with my now, you know, two years of experience writing for major publications and said... So this is a cool strategy, but I really think that there's going to be a sunset on this spam the internet with keyword stuffing thing coming up in the near future. So have you ever considered hiring a managing editor, someone to you know run your day to day, your operations kind of take what you guys have as your vision for what you want to see going forward and figure out how to execute it? Um, and so they were kind of like, no, we, we, we haven't, but we are intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I started, uh, I started with Dan and Ian in 2011. They were kind of my first, I guess, big gig clients. You know, I, I, they were who I primarily worked for, for three years. So maybe my bosses, 
the vernacular is always ambiguous there. <laughs> um, I, I think Dan would be horrified to to have to admit that he was my boss ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I worked for them for three years um, and doing uh, some small editing projects on the side, helping people with like manuscripts or working with uh, other clients on their regular blog content. Uh, and after after that point in time, uh, I kind of decided, I think I want to like go back to, to being on my own. I, I love you guys. I love the brand. I love the work that I do here. But, you know, I, I'm building someone else's empire and I, right. I miss building building mine. You know, I, I, I had kind of one of those like I used to be somebody moments. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I have a column on Forbes. I used to be a sought after like contributor and all these other things. And now people think that I'm, you know, the the employee who runs Dynamite Circle. Right. Um, so very happily, amicably split with them um, and went back to freelancing. Uh, and within about five or six months after that realized like, huh, so there's a real barrier to growth here and it's Alyssa. So <laughs> I can only do so much uh, in a given day. Uh, maybe I should try to create something that's kind of a, a hybrid of the, the editorial agencies that exist in places like New York and London uh, and different publishing capitals. But in this uh, new nomadic location independent way so that I basically run the entire thing virtually, allow my entire team to work virtually, coordinate with all my clients virtually, figure out how to have one of those, you know, big important editorial agencies, but on terms that I want to live with and things that I look for in a business setup. Uh, and that was uh, that was two years ago in November, and that's pretty much what I do with like ten hours of my day now. <laughs> Let's talk about content today. Do you feel I've asked some other guests this? Do you feel that content has changed? Strategies for content has really changed that much in the past, you know, seven to ten years or so. Um, I I I have feelings on content marketing. <laughs> Tell me your feelings, Alyssa. <laughs> Let it all uh, out I, here on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will continue my tirade. Every time I go on a per podcast, I'm like, well, that's going to burn about 17 more bridges, but <laughs> it's kind of what I do. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I think content marketing uh, as a as a genre and as a a quick fix for many people has absolutely changed and morphed um, in a very uh, destructive way okay. because people are people are chasing kind of the the lowest form of content they're chasing vanity metrics because everyone wants to prove ROI mm -hmm. so they're not paying attention to what actually is happening with their content marketing they're just excited when they get shares and views and various things like that right um, and so then they're also you know going for the like clickbaity headlines, the sensational writing, we have the entire fake news epidemic that started happening <laughs> mm -hmm. um, with uh, where, wherein basically everyone thinks they're a journalist or a publication. Right. And so um, not everyone has quite realized that the work that journalists have to do to actually be journalists. 
Um, and, and so it, it, it's creating this kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping we're going to hit a zenith point soon and come back to, I, I, I see it on the horizon, um, come back to the, the things that actually matter. So is your content driving leads and customer conversations? Are you talking to sales? Are you having sales conversations? One of our clients just sent us a message earlier this month and I, I love getting messages like this more than anything. They had gone to a sales meeting and the person that they were meeting with said, we actually are coming to you in part because we really feel like you're a, a leader in the, the thinking in this particular industry. We've been reading your blog and your articles and they're so well-written and well-thought-out that it's obvious you care about what you're doing. Right. So it's it's kind of one of those, I think, content marketing on the lower level works when you have like a SaaS or a service as a service or different things where you're just trying to get in people for small uh, monthly, you know, installments or things like that. Uh, E-commerce as well. There's definitely a time and a place for it. Absolutely. But for the people who want to have more, not putting in an effort on the content to actually give a shit about what you're saying and how you want to say it, mm -hmm. uh, it shows. How much time, when you create a really good piece of content, Alyssa, how much time do you put into it? Uh, I'm, I've been writing for two decades, so I always feel a little bit, um, I, I feel like it's unfair for me to, <laughs> me to say that because I've kind of refined my, my habit and process so much that... By the time I sit down to write an article, I had an article, um, I think, last December to the December before on Forbes that hit a million views mm -hmm. uh, within like 72 hours. Nice. Not a million. That's such a lie. A hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I got really ambitious and proud of myself. No, just a hundred thousand. Okay. Um, that I wrote in probably, it was about 2,000 words, and I wrote it in probably an hour and 45 minutes tops. Wow, um, okay. From first, first iteration to final draft. And, of course, I write about um, commentary on current events for Forbes. Mm -hmm. So my stuff does have to, to run fast. Um, I need to, you know, publish while still in the news cycle. For, for other people, um, I have everyone on my team write articles for our site monthly because mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important for people who are editing other people's work to also experience the editorial process okay. so that you remember what it feels like when someone says mean things to you about your article. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and for some of our newer writers, I think they probably spend anywhere from two to five hours researching a topic and then another like two to three hours writing up to 2000 words. Uh, and then the editing process probably takes another two to three hours. It's incredible. So like 10 hours for a solid, uh, a solid, we, we go through all of our articles, go through two rounds of content edits and a round of, uh, extreme copy editing and proofreading. Uh -huh. So, um, after which of course uh, the author, revises every single time so that's that's where that that added time comes in on an editing we, we don't just turn that around in 24 hours for many people now are, are all your writers located in north america or the states uh no we have writers actually all over currently the currently the the pen as as i like to call it uh is pretty north american central we do have uh one kiwi coming in for our like overnight work. 
Um, uh, and that's just happened to be the, the request that I've put out for editors recently. The, the best ones have been coming in from the United States and Canada. Um, not to say that I don't, what my best proofreader ever was from the Philippines. Really? Uh, and I, I frequently say she was such an amazing proofreader because she had to actually learn English while the rest of us just like learned this horrible colloquial slang English that we all speak. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she had to, she'd come back to me on edits on my piece and be like, you can't use a comma here because it splits an infinitive of this participle. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> 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 I, I'm not I'm not married to the comma there, so delete it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, well, I appreciated the explanation and the fact that she was able to give that explanation. Right. But um, yeah, for like myself and other editors on our team, um, we all know know the ins and outs of grammar. But she she knew it cold. Yeah. Alyssa, I'd like to get into your writing strategy. So. How do you prep yourself psychologically when you're getting prepared to write something and then going through the actual writing process? Yeah, well, so, uh, quick, I guess, plug, but it's more of a useful thing for, for people. Mm -hmm. um, we actually just wrote a massive, massive post on the site, which I'll give you the, the link to to include in show notes. But it's how we, we run our entire uh, editorial process from like inception of thought to publishing okay. um, using Trello as a system, but also just the mindset for it. What's the name uh, of the we'll article, give, Alyssa? Uh, Trello as an editorial calendar. Trello as, okay, as an editorial calendar. Yeah. So, um, but for me, what I do is I use Trello <laughs> okay. to basically save every passing thought that I possibly have. Um, other people, you know, will jot things down in mole skins or on a running spreadsheet or d Google Doc on their computers, whatever. I use Trello because I can use it on multiple devices. So I can just, you know, pull it up on my phone whenever I have an idea for something that I want to write. Um, so I have basically an entire column that's all articles I think I would like to write at some point in time. Um, and so then what I do is uh, I, I kind of start like marinating on the different concepts and ideas. Good word. Um, yeah. And as different ideas come up or different things that I've researched, I have a ridiculous memory. Um, so I actually know probably 80% of the topics that I have in my submissions, which are like probably 50 to 60 ideas. Uh, so, so anytime I, I, I read something that reminds me of, you know, an article idea I had at one point in time or have a conversation, uh, I go back into Trello and make just a little note in the description or whatever, a link back to the article so that then by the time I actually sit down, to start researching and to start working on the article, I, I kind of have, have thought about what I want to say and how I want to say it for, you know, a, a, probably at least an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, over the course of sometimes four days, sometimes, you know, weeks or months, I have a couple articles that are that are probably close to a year old that um, just haven't haven't quite seen the light of day yet. Um, and so then when I sit down and start doing that, I'll, I'll basically figure out really fast if this is an article that is, is worth publishing. 
or if it's something that, you know, probably could have been a journal entry or like a Facebook status update. Um, if there's nothing, nothing substantial to say about it. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, basically start, uh, I always outline, uh, by quickly kind of, I, I use, uh, the kind of journalistic method mm-hmm. of, uh, a, a also like scientific method of, I'm going to say what I'm doing at the beginning, then I'm going to make, you know, four or five points that support what I want to say and then write a conclusion that explains whether my original thought was correct or not and why or why not. Uh, and then just start kind of filling in all of those, all of those points uh, with the research and the thinking I've done. So that's kind of how by the time I sit down, I can write 2000 words in you know, 90 minutes. Uh, cause, cause I've ha- half written the article in my own brain. Yeah. Um, the only other person I've ever talked to that, uh, beautiful minds, their work like that, <laughs> uh, is Glenn Alsop from Viper Chill. So I feel like I'm in good, good company if I think like that. <laughs> That's I'm what check- I'm going to continue telling myself. I'm checking out your article here on Trello and it, it's a really detailed article. It looks really informative here. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, uh, share, want to share it with your listeners cause it is very how we use the entire system, but then also, why we use the system in the way that we do. So it's it seems like a very step-by-step kind of tutorial, but it's also very much, if you wanna set up an editorial calendar and start publishing content consistently that's of high quality, um, he, here's how you do it and how you think about doing it. And we'll put the links in the show notes for that, but for the listeners that wanna jot it down, it's at craftyourcontent.com forward slash Trello dash editorial dash calendar. Perfect. Alyssa, is there anything else you'd like to share about creating content? I, I think the only other thing that that I work with with clients a lot on and that I really feel strongly about is it's really important before you just start throwing spaghetti at the wall and, you know, kind of celebrating in your vanity metrics to, <laughs> to have a really solid idea of of what your foundation is. Uh, especially if you are trying to set yourself apart as, you know, a leading brand or a leading thinking organization or a leading essayist. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of starting to starting to to ride two horses at this point in time um, with running their business and the content for their site, but also starting to blog personally about their own beliefs, kind of trying to get more speaking gigs, things like that. Um, and if you don't know what it is, I, I've used the phrase already a couple times, but it's because it, I think it is so important. Uh, if you don't know what it is you want to say and how you want to say it, uh, we call it the voice and vision of your organization or brand, then y- your your work won't reflect that. It'll be all over the place. There won't be any consistent messaging. There won't be any consistent styling or different things like that because you're basically just trying everything at once. Mm-hmm. Um, wherein if you if you take the time, it, it doesn't take more than like than you know seven to ten days to really sit down and think on those things. Then then as soon as you do that, you know when you're creating content, when you're doing other things, you you have a, a touch point. So every article that you write, does it serve what your voice and vision for the brand is? Every you know point that you make in the article, are you staying on brand? Are you serving your voice and vision? 
or are you just trying to to say things and do things to to get views or different things like that you know if you think of your your favorite writers out there today you almost they write about different things but you always know pretty much what they're going to say and how they're going to say it because they consistently have built that and done that I completely agree. And to find that foundation is really empowering for a lot of entrepreneurs because it's just like a target on a bullseye. You have a vision of exactly what you want to hit and what you want to create. And it helps you become more clear and helps your work become more clear and effective by by having that vision. So great tip, Alyssa. Where is Oaxaca? Is that in the southern part of Mexico? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was really confused for a bit. Um, I'm apparently, I, I used to pride myself on knowing maps and geography really well. Uh-huh. Um, and I knew that Oaxaca was close to the uh, Pacific coast because uh-huh. uh, it's only about a four-hour bus ride from um, Puerto Escondido. And so I thought like, oh, it's on the west coast of Mexico. I know how Mexico is shaped. It kind of like is the funnel off the bottom of the U.S. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly where it is. Uh, I was unaware of the fact that the funnel kind of um, curved east uh-huh. into Central America. So Oaxaca is actually in that kind of little curve Okay. Um, to the east. So it's really confusing. It's on the Pacific coast of Mexico, gotcha. but kind of aligned under Chicago. Interesting. And and what right? drew you to that area? Uh, I needed, well, I needed to not be in the Northeast for winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was really trying to find a place. Um, I've been in Southeast Asia for the past five years, pretty much consistently, Um, And I needed to, for business, find a place that was kind of better aligned to uh, the America's time zone uh, for my clients and for my team uh, to be able to communicate well with them. And so Oaxaca, Mexico, uh, my friend Jody Attenberg from Legal Nomads was here, is here, uh, and basically was texting me daily different pictures of tacos and various Mexican food <laughs> <laughs> while I was in Prague last fall. And she was like, come to Oaxaca, come to Oaxaca. <laughs> so kind of one of those, I didn't have any place else to go, so might as well come check it out. It's been really, I kind of, it reminds me a lot of Chiang Mai in Thailand, which is where I spend a really? lot of my time. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of up in the mountains, so it's a little bit quieter. Uh, still just, you know, a, a quick flight or bus ride uh, from Mexico City, which is, of course, the capital and the central mm-hmm. city of Oaxaca, close to all sorts of trips and vacations and everything. Super cultural, really nice people, uh, which is what drew me to Chiang Mai. So it's, it's it's ranking high that this may become my my permanent winter destination. Wow. Great. Very cool. What's the uh, living expenses down there? Is it pretty cheap? Uh, I, probably. I tend to not um, live as cheaply in places as other other nomads probably do. Yeah. Um, I uh, apartments I think are probably between like three and five hundred dollars a month USD, depending on like where you live in the city and what kind of apartment you get. Uh huh. Uh, Food is uber cheap. I eat tacos every day for a dollar. Um, nice. So uh, the food is super cheap. Um, Alcohol is pretty inexpensive. I know that's always a, a, a factor for some people. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's it's probably on par with Chiang Mai that you could live super, super cheap here, but there are also people who spend probably upwards of a thousand or fifteen hundred a month. <laughs> upwards of a thousand or fifteen. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I High rollers. Are <laughs> like when I'm back in the States, my monthly expenses are like four thousand dollars yeah. and vastly different. But uh, I know for a lot of a lot of travelers, um, 1000 to 1500 uh, is about the point where they start being like, all right, I've like next leveled my shit. I'm not living in, you know, $150 costs somewhere in like Denpasar. That's one thing that's really great about being location independent is you have $4,000 monthly expenses in the States, but you can go to these other places and have the same lifestyle for $1,500 and have a cultural experience. And then you have an extra $2,500 to dump back into your business or savings or investing or, or whatever. And that's leveraging the dollar like that. It can be a great business strategy. And I think a lot of people use that option. Yeah, I definitely, I just uh, promoted someone in my company to become our full-time managing editor, Mm -hmm. which means she manages our day-to-day operations. She takes care of all the assignments, runs the writer's pens, the editor's pens, um, basically kind of is, is the day-to-day guru of the company and, uh, promoted her in January. And that was part of my thought process in coming to Oaxaca was that if I cut my cost of living, I could pour that money into full-time pay for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'd have three months to basically make the money back up, uh, and increase our deliverables. Nice. Yeah, that's a that's, good plan. I, I do that a lot, kind of, if I need, if I'm coming up on a season of a big expense, go somewhere to bootstrap and cut down my personal owner draw and then uh, give that to wherever it needs to go. And then basically, I now have a timeline of when I need to make money back to be able to <laughs> get back to a Western standard cost of living. That's good, because it holds you accountable to get moving and not being lazy. Exactly. It's a, I found that it's a really good strategy because it kind of smart goals your, yeah, exactly. <laughs> your time and expense and everything without, uh, with, without putting it down on a piece of paper or anything. It's a very hard deadline. Yeah. Thanks. Um, okay. Well, we're going to wrap up there. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And I really appreciate you spending your time with us and giving your tips and your tricks and sharing all your wisdom with us. And I think we got a lot of valuable stuff that we can share with the listeners. So thank you very much, Alyssa. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And if the listeners want to reach out to you and learn more about Alyssa or craft your content, where's the best place they can do that at? Uh, I usually direct everyone to craft your content, mostly because it's easier to spell in Google than my own name. (laughs) Um, And so that's craftyourcontent.com. And uh, from there, you can actually click on our team page and that has all my information. The best way to to reach me is on Twitter, which if you're feeling ambitious is at Alyssa Doucette. And we'll leave it up to you guys to spell the do set part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the Alyssa, because it's spelled differently than most people do. That's true. Well, um, we'll put the links in the show notes for all that. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in once again. We appreciate your time. And we're going to sign off there for today. Goodbye, everybody.
The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.